NBC News World Headquarters in New York. This is World News Tonight with David Muir. Good evening, and it's great to have you with us as we start another week together here. And we begin tonight with this dangerous and deadly storm already. Millions without power, brutal cold, and countless accidents on the highways across the south in the middle of this country. Texas, Oklahoma, and this heads right up into the northeast tonight. Then another major storm right behind all of this. Then we'll move across the country. 200 million people on alert in more than 40 states tonight. We're talking about historic cold and record snow and ice in some places. A very rough week ahead on the road and for the millions without power already. Look at the images coming in tonight, the treacherous driving across hundreds of miles. Whiteout conditions on the roads in Oklahoma City right there. A multi-vehicle pileup on I-10 near El Paso. This scene was repeated across parts of Texas. A truck losing control on a snowy highway in Toledo, Ohio, narrowly missing a direct hit on this car. A pickup truck sliding out of control down a street in Nashville, really all over this country. And there's real concern tonight with millions without power in dangerous cold and with little relief soon. You can see those sparks there, those balls of fire traveling along this power line in Louisiana. There are rolling blackouts in Texas and at least 14 other states just to try to keep the power grids from failing to give heat to those who still have power. And of course, all of this playing out in the middle of the pandemic, in the middle of this rush to get the vaccine out. There's news tonight of freezers with vaccine out of power, the backup generators failing, and now they're trying to get those shots into arms. So we're going to get to all of this one piece at a time tonight. Ginger Z tracking the storms and ABC's Marcus Moore leading us off from Dallas tonight. Tonight, this unprecedented winter storm is paralyzing the south with treacherous road conditions and life-threatening cold temperatures. Now the extreme cold straining the power grid. We're talking about millions and millions of people throughout Texas without uh, heat today. Power officials in Texas instituting those rolling blackouts and begging residents to conserve electricity. It's a huge demand. Uh, and then there are a number of generation plants that have been taken offline like your wind turbines that are frozen over. The power is still out in this neighborhood and look at the street lights just behind me here. Off completely, it looks and feels like we're in Iowa, but this is Dallas, Texas. The temperatures have been in the teens throughout most of the day and it won't get above freezing until later this week. Families back in Houston trying to cope. We were under like three blankets last night and still very cold. Bill Flanders using a heat blanket to try to thaw his frozen pipes. I thought I'd drain the pipes in the attic overnight so they wouldn't freeze, but uh, came out this morning and uh, the supply line froze. The strain on the power grid now affecting the entire region. Power officials now asking at least 14 more states on the same grid to start controlled rolling blackouts, something that has never happened before. The system now bringing snow to the frozen Midwest. Alex Perez in Chicago. This is stubborn Arctic air just will not loosen its grip on the Midwest. As some people are dealing with temperatures that feel like anywhere from 30 to 50 below zero. Take a look behind me here. That field of snow, it's actually a frozen Lake Michigan blanketed with snow. The roads treacherous across the region over the last 24 hours. In Schulenburg, Texas, a man by an SUV barely escaping being hit by a second car flying down an embankment. This pickup truck backing out of a driveway in Nashville, skating sideways on a sheet of ice. And this Nashville couple's surveillance camera capturing the moment they tumbled down icy stairs. And back in Texas, an unbelievable sight. The beach in Galveston blanketed in white, snow melting into the Gulf of Mexico. 
just incredible images tonight, and this is really going to be an issue all week long with these multiple systems. Marcus Moore with us live tonight from Dallas. And Marcus, we know this kind of weather uh, and days of dangerous cold all playing out in the middle of this pandemic. Uh, we learned the vaccination sites were forced to close in many places, as you pointed out. And with the power problems, now we've learned of a facility holding vaccine, losing power in the Houston area. David, officials in Harris County, they scrambled to give out more than 5,000 doses of the Moderna vaccine after that facility lost power, and then the backup generator failed. They feared those doses would spoil, and they had to get to large groups of people fast. So they went to a couple of hospitals, a university, and even the county jail. David, folks being tested on so many levels tonight. Marcus Moore and Alex Perez in that piece are thanks to you both. Of course, the first storm still on the move at this hour, hitting the Northeast overnight and tomorrow. Then brutal cold across the country. And then, of course, that second storm we've been mentioning. So let's get right to ABC's chief meteorologist, Ginger Z, to guide us through it all tonight. Hi, Ginger. Hi, David. That dangerous freezing drizzle has just started here. It's moving into Pennsylvania now, and we've got tornado watches as if we haven't had enough to worry about all the way down to Jacksonville, Florida. So let me take you through the timing of this first storm. It blows through tonight. If you have driving anywhere from Scranton, Pennsylvania to Monticello, New York, Albany, New York, that's where the heaviest ice looks like it could set up. You're also going to see soaking rain and warming toward the coast. So New York City, you're going to end up with that. Look at all those alerts on the map from the Cascades to New England, down to Texas. And those are new alerts because there's another storm. You barely got a breath. And then Dallas, you're going to get more ice. Oklahoma, where you had a half a foot of snow. Get it again by Wednesday morning. And behind or before that, you've got the coldest Mardi Gras on record potentially tomorrow. The coldest Fat Tuesday. We could be breaking records all the way to the Gulf Coast. David. Right, Ginger Z with us all week long here. Ginger, thank you. We move on to other news tonight and to the coronavirus and news this evening that the dangerous South African variant has now been detected in a patient here in New York City at a hospital here brought in from Connecticut. This particular variant has now been seen in at least eight states. And Dr. Anthony Fauci tonight warning of reinfection with this South African strain, meaning some people have had the virus and are now getting it again. And all of this as scientists now study seven other variants that have been found in the U.S. And as more states open up eligibility for vaccine, that's good news for people hoping to get a shot. The issue has become the lack of supply in so many states. More than 38,292,000 Americans with at least one shot now. That's nearly 12% of the population. And here's ABC's Eva Pilgrim tonight. Tonight, the South African COVID variant spreading in the U.S. One case now confirmed in a patient from Connecticut, now hospitalized in New York City. We have no evidence of any spread in New York State to date. The more contagious South African variant appears to chip away at the effectiveness of the vaccines. It's now identified in eight states. Dr. Anthony Fauci warning there have also been cases of reinfection with that South African strain. In South Africa, there were people who got infected with the original virus, recovered, and then got reinfected with this new variant, the South African variant, which tells us that prior infection does not protect you against reinfection, at least with this particular variant. Across the country, COVID cases are down by 62% in the last month, but variants threaten to reverse that trend. British scientists say the UK variant, now in 41 states, is likely more deadly. And researchers are now tracking seven new strains originating here in the U.S. to see if they're more contagious. We are nowhere out of the woods. If we relax these mitigation strategies with increasing transmissible variants out there, we could be in a much more difficult spot. 
and now a surge in demand for the vaccine. Across the country, states widening eligibility. In New York, three million more people with underlying health conditions are now eligible. But the challenge is getting an appointment. 26-year-old Kenesha McFadden has a heart and autoimmune condition. I woke up every hour on the hour refreshing any website that I could find. It was very anxiety inducing. I was exhausted by the time I uh, was had actually booked my appointment. It comes as New York's governor Andrew Cuomo is addressing his handling of the numbers of coronavirus deaths in nursing homes after his office conceded that it delayed turning them over to state lawmakers. The void we created allowed this information and that created more anxieties for the families of loved ones. Families have wondered whether their loved ones could have been saved. Today, Cuomo defending his record. The truth is everybody did everything they could. Tonight, renewed concern for young patients. Some hospitals reporting an increase in cases of that rare multi-inflammatory syndrome in children, Miss C. In Indiana, the parents of five-year-old Janiah Johnson say it happened so fast when she got sick with COVID, vomiting with a fever, her kidneys and liver then failing. The doctor told us maybe if we would have waited one more day, she possibly, they possibly couldn't have done anything yeah. for her. Doctors successfully treated Janiah with medication. Tell her you feel better. I feel better. Well, that is good news, and we need some reassuring news on this virus. Eva with us now from a pharmacy giving out vaccines. And Eva, uh, what you reported there, the South African variant now confirmed in that patient in New York City. There are seven newly identified variants originating here in the U.S. that they're looking at. And authorities are saying, you know, even though cases are coming down, now's not the time to let your guard down. That's exactly right, David. Health experts are urging people to mask, double mask when possible, social distance, wash your hands, all those things more important now than ever. And they're reminding people, even if you've gotten the vaccine, you still need to keep practicing those measures. David? Yeah, because those vaccines could then be tested by these variants. Eva Pilgrim with us every step of the way on this, Eva. Thank you. Now to former President Trump acquitted in his second impeachment trial, seen waving to supporters today as he traveled to play golf in Florida. And tonight, the seven Republican senators who broke ranks voting guilty in the trial, what some are now facing back home. And Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell voting to acquit, but then taking aim at the former president with his words right after that vote. He said the former president didn't get away with anything yet. Yet. And those were McConnell's words. So what did he mean by that? Rachel Scott up on the Hill again tonight. On this President's Day, Donald Trump supporters gathering in Florida to celebrate a former president fresh off his second acquittal. Trump advisor Dan Scavino posting this video. The crowd erupting in cheers the moment his motorcade passes by. Trump spotted giving two thumbs up just days after being acquitted. Still, Democrats point out it was the most bipartisan presidential impeachment verdict in American history. Seven Republican senators breaking ranks, voting to convict a president from their own party. Mr. Cassidy. Mr. Cassidy, guilty. And tonight, the backlash only growing. Louisiana Senator Bill Cassidy slapped with censure by his state GOP party, still standing by his decision. I'm attempting to hold President Trump accountable. Just minutes before the final vote, Cassidy slipped a note to Senator Richard Burr, who leaned back and nodded in agreement. When the time came, he also voted guilty. Mr. Burr. Mr. Burr, guilty. Members of the North Carolina Republican Party are holding an emergency meeting tonight, 
weighing his censure too. And in Utah, some state Republicans are deciding whether to censure Senator Mitt Romney, accusing him of being part of the deep state. But only one of those seven Republicans is up for re-election in 2022. Lisa Murkowski issuing a blistering statement saying President Trump allowing violence to go on for hours without any clear directive or demand for peace. His intentional silence cost Americans their lives. And Democrats agreed, making a last-minute push to add evidence into the record. This is uh, an additional critical piece of corroborating evidence. Details of a heated phone call between House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy and Trump as the riot was unfolding. All of it, according to Congresswoman Jamie Herrera Butler, McCarthy pleading with Trump to tell his supporters to stand down. The former president telling McCarthy, well, I guess these people are just more angry about the election and upset than you are. But as Trump moves forward, he will be doing it without the support of Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. Though he voted to acquit, he had this warning. President Trump is still liable for everything he did while he was in office. Didn't get away with anything yet. Yeah. So let's get right to Rachel Scott back up on the Hill again this week for us. And Rachel, we heard Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell there when he said that over the weekend, saying that the former president hasn't gotten away with anything yet. Uh, we know there's a potential criminal investigation in Georgia. You've reported on this, looking into those phone calls with election officials there, including uh, that call to Georgia's Secretary of State when the former president said, I just want to find those 11,780 votes. Uh, so, Rachel, what did McConnell mean by saying yet? Yeah, well, Georgia is still looking into that, launching that criminal investigation. Donald Trump's still denying any wrongdoing here, David. And tonight, he is plotting out his next steps. He is relieved to have been acquitted in the Senate, but his legal troubles are far from over. Senator Lindsey Graham says he plans to fly to Florida to meet with the former president. He insists that Trump is now focused on rebuilding the Republican Party ahead of 2022. But it is clear that some Republican leaders are ready to move forward without Trump. David? Rachel Scott with us tonight from up on the Hill. Rachel, thank you. And there was one more note on this late word this evening from the Hill that House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is now launching a 9-11 style commission to investigate the deadly siege of the Capitol. There has been bipartisan support for this idea. So let's get right to our Chief Justice Correspondent Pierre Thomas with us tonight. Pierre, what have you learned? David, the Speaker is calling for an independent 9-11 style commission to investigate and report the facts and causes of the January 6th attack. That investigation will not only look at the efforts to interfere with the Electoral College certification, but will also look at any intelligence failures that led to police being overwhelmed. The Speaker said an investigation has already found flaws in security, and she's calling for additional funding to provide for the safety of congressional leaders and also for the physical security of the Capitol, David. All right, more to come on all this. Pierre Thomas with us. With so much at stake, so much on the line, more Americans turn here than any other newscast. ABC News, World News Tonight with David Muir. We have made it through another week together. America's number one most watched newscast across all of television. Admit it. These days, what you need to know seems to change just about every day. What is it that you really want to know, need to know? To help you not just get through your day, but to make the most of it. Feel smarter. Feel better. Feel happier. Well, how about a third hour of Good Morning America in the afternoon? GMA 3, what you need to know. Lunchtime at 1 Eastern, 12 Central and Pacific on ABC. It's all about you. 
Robin Roberts, George Stephanopoulos, Michael Strahan. Wake up with America's number one most watched morning show, ABC's Good Morning America. The world may feel out of your control, but your happiness doesn't have to be. Learn the secrets to happiness. Listen to the 10% Happier podcast, free on Apple Podcasts. ABC News, honored, winner for the second straight year with the Edward R. Murrow Award for Overall Excellence in Television. ABC News, America's number one news source. Friday nights, 9, 8 central. True crime, cinematic, real-life drama, stunning, the unthinkable. Follow the clues, the hunt, true crime, 2020. Friday nights, 9, 8 central on ABC. Reality is our country can collapse from within. You see the white power movement on the march. Klansmen and neo-Nazis, skinheads, it's meant to incite war. From the KKK to Oklahoma City to Charlottesville, the new documentary event special. We just need to start talking about race. Homegrown hate, the war among us. This is a real wake-up call. Streaming now on ABC News Live. Now, when it matters most, the straightforward facts. ABC News is America's number one news. Number one in the morning. Number one in the evening. With America's most watched newscast. Number one in late night versus the competition. The number one news magazine on Friday nights. Number one in politics across this historic election versus the competition. The number one daytime talk show. And number one in streaming news. ABC News is America's number one news. It felt like surreal, like something out of a movie. And then they put me into the ICU. After that, it was kind of a blur. It was like, we just ran out of money. More than 400,000 American lives have now been lost to COVID-19. Tonight, there is growing concern at this hour over a possible outbreak of a mystery virus. The only confirmed case in the U.S., a man in his 30s who flew to Seattle from Wuhan, China, the outbreak's epicenter, last Wednesday. This morning, the CDC announced confirmation of the second case of novel coronavirus in the U.S. A new warning from the State Department urging Americans to reconsider travel to all of China. Probably by mid-February, um, everyone was sort of on board with the fact that we were seeing this emergence event take place in China that was going uncontrolled and seeing the devastating impact in other parts of the globe. I think by March, we were sounding the alarm bells. We will be suspending all travel from Europe to the United States for the next 30 days. It's been five days since I was tested. And I called the doctor again today. They said they don't have my test back. We missed the mark in several ways. We were very slow to think about contact tracing. We were very slow to think about um, interventions like increased social distancing. There was no sort of federal mandate to get this virus under control. Americans should be prepared for more than 100,000 deaths before we get through this. You open up, could lead to death, and you're right. But you know what? Staying at home leads to death also. I remember sitting down with uh, my department chair 
um, and we were talking about the other hospitals in Queens, um, and they were literally collapsing. Like there was there was a gridlock on the floors. The emergency room was exploding. All these patients here sitting out in the hallways because we are full. We're also setting up a couple tents outside our hospital that serve as a overflow for these COVID-19 patients. There were people waiting in the waiting room and, that, and, and the EMS had no place to bring anyone because every hospital was full. That is like pretty much as close to the definition of health system collapse as you can get. Those first few months were just, I mean, there was, it was, everything was saturated. The hospitals were saturated, emotions were saturated, everyone's work schedule was saturated, like you had no time to breathe, no time to eat, no time to think, no time to feel your emotions. Given that the CDC did not have as much of a voice, it created essentially a whack-a-mole situation where some states implemented interventions, others didn't, and then we consistently saw the virus move around this country and wreak havoc. Since Memorial Day, Texas has seen a 36% increase in COVID-related hospitalizations. I mean, we had our dream home in May, right? We purchased in May, yeah. getting, thinking of getting married in July. It was the weekend before I went into the hospital. I noticed where my lungs were a little, a little heavy and had a real bad uh, attack, and my oxygen dipped down into the 70s. And when that happened, you know, I, it, it really scared me because uh, I couldn't breathe at all. It was like if I was underwater. Like I remember when the first time he got intubated. The next day I knew he couldn't talk, and so he got a touch screen and he formed a heart, and that's the only thing I received. And it was just really hard, and I would just beg the nurses to go hold his hand. This morning, Arizona ICUs nearing capacity, filling up with COVID patients as the expected death toll is revised upwards. Texas with five straight days of more than 100 deaths, its hospitals under stress. Danza, an ordained minister, he's the one that married us at the hospital. So they got us a cake, they got us the flowers. It's more than we ever would have thought or imagined or even expected. You know, that day, it clicked in me. It's like, hey, look, I have, I still have a life. I'm making a promise here, you know, and we're doing this. It really did switch something in me. It's like, hey, look, I have to get through this. It was right then, after that, it was just like, a steady uphill in, in my healing. The unofficial last beach weekend of the summer. As we go on the other side of Labor Day and enter into the fall, we want to go into that with a running start in the right direction. Anyone who's responsible for that many deaths should not remain as president of the United States of America. president tweeting today about leaving Walter Reed, telling the American people, don't be afraid of COVID. Don't let it dominate your life. This is not just, you know, immune compromised people. My healthy 53 year old mother, her life was cut short within two months of having this virus in her body. On Saturday, Wisconsin logging nearly 2,900 new cases, a record high paired with record hospitalizations and deaths this week places have never looked quite like this so historically when we would vote in a you know a classroom this year we wanted the gym every voter we will wipe up 
overnight, Joe Biden bounding on stage, declaring victory and assuming the title of president-elect of the United States. The people of this nation have spoken. We've seen over 2,000 deaths in the United States in a single day. We're seeing around 200,000 cases in a single day. Our baseline is unacceptably high. I'm really afraid over the next month, uh, in between Thanksgiving and Christmas, we're going to see some major surges. It was our intention to stay open as long as we could to keep people employed and also, you know, uplift our community because our food is, you know, kind of a beacon of the neighborhood. And I think people found comfort in knowing that we are, we are still open. Business owners in Los Angeles fired up and fed up, protesting against new stay-at-home orders now in effect there as ICUs fill up. Uh, this is our former dining area. You can see now it's basically just become like a packing facility for all of our to-go and take-away orders. Restaurants represent an environment where there's greater chance for disease transmission. They often have poor ventilation, people have to eat without their masks on, and we've seen many examples either in bars or restaurants where super spreader events have taken place. We're here inside the Golden State. It's definitely been a really tough week uh, informing our staff and all of our customers about our plans to close. Unless sort of like an angel falls out of the sky uh, and drops a pile of cash on us, the, yeah, January 4th will be our last day. The push to get more Americans vaccinated quickly. New York City opening so-called vaccine mega sites, trying to meet the historic demand. Getting the vaccine is very emotional for me. We've all been dealing with this for what seems like an eternity. It's probably been nine months since it's really hit hard here. Frustration is mounting over a campaign that's far behind schedule. Officials slamming the federal government's vaccine rollout strategy. We've got to organize this like the national emergency that it is. We've sat back and assumed that somehow creating the vaccine was all we had to do. Our plan starts with mounting an aggressive, safe and effective vaccination campaign to meet our goal of administering 100 million shots in our first 100 days in office. Uh, this is not the last time that an emerging infectious disease will have impact. We have to be vigilant, both in the ways in which we identify uh, new viruses and stop them at their source, but then also building better infrastructure within this country to, to respond. This is a symbol and an actual step to the first, the first step towards going back to normalcy. I stand on the shoulders of women who come before me, the women who knock down doors, broken ceilings that paved the way for me, women like Moms Mabley. This comedian became successful on the Chitlin circuit, and she became the first black woman to perform comedy on TV. Women like Diane Carroll, the first black actress to star in her own television show where she didn't play a domestic worker on Julia. And then there's Whoopi Goldberg, the first black woman to win an EGOT. Yeah, I, I wanted to win an EGOT one day, and she'd be the first person I'd tell. Performers like Brandy, a double threat. She's an amazing singer, and one of the few actresses who portrayed what it feels like to be a young black woman on TV. Actresses like Viola Davis, who made history. She became the first black woman to win an Emmy for Best Actress in a Drama Series. I salute these women, I thank these women, and I honor these women.
I know what happened, and I'm not guilty. Why the fascination with criminal trials? Figure out what's really out there. She revealed she had murdered his family. I know in my heart they did this. It's the time of suspicion. The ending's really tough. You don't know whether truth is going to be difficult to find unless you try to find it. is our country can collapse from within. You see the white power movement on the march. Klansmen and neo-Nazis, skinheads, it's meant to incite war. From the KKK to Oklahoma City to Charlottesville, the new documentary event special. We just need to start talking about race. Homegrown hate, the war among us. This is a real wake-up call. Streaming now on ABC News Live. Admit it, these days what you need to know seems to change just about every day. What is it that you really want to know, need to know? To help you not just get through your day, but to make the most of it. Feel smarter. Feel better. Feel happier. Well, how about a third hour of Good Morning America in the afternoon? GMA 3, what you need to know. Lunchtime at 1 Eastern, 12 Central and Pacific on ABC. It's all about you. Assault on the Capitol, the ABC News original, exclusively on Hulu, now streaming. With so much at stake, so much on the line, more Americans turn here than any other newscast. ABC News, World News Tonight with David Muir. We have made it through another week together. America's number one most watched newscast across all of television. The world may feel out of your control, but your happiness doesn't have to be. Learn the secrets to happiness. Listen to the 10% Happier podcast, free on Apple Podcasts. Robin Roberts, George Stephanopoulos, Michael Strahan. Wake up with America's number one most watched morning show. ABC's Good Morning America. ABC News. Honored. Winner for the second straight year with the Edward R. Murrow Award for Overall Excellence in Television. ABC News. America's number one news source. Breakdown. I'm Diane Macedo. And I'm Terry Moran. Republicans are facing a backlash after former President Trump was acquitted in the most bipartisan presidential impeachment, impeachment vote ever. The fallout now after those seven Republicans broke ranks with their party, voting to find the former president guilty of inciting the insurrection at the Capitol. So, what does this mean for the future of the GOP? A former Republican congressman joins us to weigh in. And the other big question now, could Donald Trump face criminal charges? Our team is covering all the angles. Also ahead, the World Health Organization says weekly COVID-19 cases have fallen by nearly half worldwide as states in the U.S. run low on vaccine supplies. The CDC warns we are nowhere out of the woods as President Biden pressures Congress to pass a new COVID relief bill. So where do things stand on the stimulus deal? and those struggling in the pandemic. One of the president's economic advisors joins us live. A new ABC News Ipsos poll shows that a majority of Americans, 58%, say that former President Trump should have been convicted. But that breaks down along party lines. While 88% of Democrats and 64% of independents say Trump should have been convicted, only 14% of Republicans agree. ABC News political director Rick Klein joins us now for more. Rick, what stands out to you most 
from the trial and those poll numbers? Diane, the, the poll number con poll number confirms that uh, Americans heard the evidence and it confirmed what they thought going into this trial. President Trump, 58% is a large number by any historical comparison, even comparing to President Trump's last trial. And what's remarkable to me, Diane, is how consistent these numbers actually are with the Senate results. 57 senators voted to convict President Trump. 58% of Americans think that that was appropriate. And even in the Republican Party, seven senators out of 50, that's 14% the exact number that our poll shows Republicans saying that President Trump deserved to be convicted. And Rick, one of the key moments in this trial was when the Senate voted and gave House managers the power to call for witnesses. But ultimately, the Senate decided not to. What do you think went into that decision? Yeah, it was an extraordinary turn of events, Terry, and I'm told that, uh, that the Senate Democrats were caught unawares with the, uh, the attempt by House managers, uh, members of their own party, to push for witnesses. Yes, they had the votes, but they didn't know what to do once they had them. And then came the threat from Republicans uh, and the Trump side to call as many as 100 witnesses. Now, that, that never would have happened, but it did highlight the peril of, of calling witnesses. First of all, you're not sure exactly what they're going to say. And secondly, and more importantly, it would have prolonged the trial at least through this week, maybe a lot longer. Meanwhile, while delaying the Biden agenda without potentially moving any votes. At that point, we already knew the Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell was a no vote. It's unlikely that, that more votes would have been switched. In fact, there were some Senate Democrats saying, if you let this go on so long, we may lose the votes we already had. So it, the trial ends with a lot of unanswered questions because of that, that strange uh, end stage there on Saturday. So Rick, now that the trial is over, what's next for President Biden and his agenda? Well, he gets on the move. He'll be out in the country for the first time as president uh, through the Midwest, including Wisconsin, starting tomorrow. Uh, he's trying to sell that COVID relief package. He knows that time is ticking down on any chance of a bipartisan package. And look, this is where he gets his presidency back. Uh, it's President's Day, and it's a gift to Joe Biden that he doesn't have to worry about the Trump impeachment. Of course, the Republicans are, are still in a, a good degree of dis disarray around the future of their party. But right now, President Biden gets to push on what he knows is the number one agenda item for him. COVID-19 relief, and he knows that there's urgency now in trying to get something done. And Rick, uh, looking ahead right now, there was some talk around the trial that there's no way President Trump could ever uh, successfully run for office again, but I can't think of another Republican who has his name recognition, his power to raise money, can generate the crowds and enthusiasm. What do you think is next for him, his family, and the party? Well, uh, as you say, Terry, I mean, the biggest substantive takeaway from his acquittal is that he can run again. Now, I don't think that's likely, but I do think it's very likely that he'll talk about it for quite some time, in addition to marshalling his political forces to exact a retribution against senators and congressmen who uh, voted for his conviction. Uh, the MAGA movement remains very strong. It may even have consequences in the North Carolina Senate race where a retiring senator there, Richard Burr, voted to convict Senator Lindsey Graham from neighboring South Carolina, says that makes Lara Trump, the president's daughter-in-law, the prohibitive frontrunner, in the race to replace him. So there could still be Trump's running in 2022 and beyond. And, and I'm, I'm of the mind that we may not have seen the last of Donald Trump Sr. either. Rick Klein in Washington. Thanks, I, no question about that. Th thanks, Terry.
All right, well, some of those Republicans who voted to convict Donald Trump are now facing a backlash in their home states. At least one senator, Bill Cassidy, has been censured by the Louisiana GOP. The North Carolina Republican Party called Senator Richard Burr's vote shocking and disappointment, disappointing. And Pennsylvania's GOP chair called Senator Pat Toomey's decision a disappointment. So let's go to former Republican Congressman Denver Riggleman of Virginia. He joins us now for more. It's great to see you again. And, and let me ask you first about that last question uh, to, to Rick Klein there about Donald Trump's and the Trump family's future. What do you think? Is he, is he, uh, is he poison goods or, or is he able to run again? And do you think he will? Uh, no, I, I, and thanks for having me. It's great to be back. But I think his name and the support that he gives is actually advantage in a lot of these districts. And you were just talking about Bill Cassidy's censure vote. I believe that was unanimous. So that, that talks to the power of the Stop the Steal movement, the fact that they didn't believe President Trump should be impeached. You know, all these belief systems that came from disinformation is very powerful in the Republican Party right now. And, and we can make the argument that committees are more ideologically bent, you know, than the normal voting public. However, these committees control a lot of the power in these local areas. And when you see a unanimous vote for censure or the massive disparity you saw in the vote against Liz Cheney in Wyoming, you start to see that these committees have completely bought into this. And again, you know, a lot of these districts, I don't think the GOP is dead at all. I think they're actually going to do pretty well in 2022. So since the Senate failed to convict him, Trump is free to run for office again. At this point, is there anyone in the Republican Party that could challenge him for the nomination in 2024 if, if Terry's suspicions are correct and if he does decide to pursue office again? I don't know. I mean, at that point, though, I think he'd be 78 years old, I think is how old he would be. So that, you know, now President Biden won at that age, but I don't know if at that advanced age, President Trump's going to want to run again, the former president. But I think a Trump name could. So that's why I think when you were talking about Laura Trump or Rick was talking about uh, Laura Trump down in North Carolina, you're going to see a lot of Trump names, I think, that sort of that are that are trotted out. But as far as running for president, hell, you know, I don't know. I, I think I'd have as good, a great a chance as anybody else running right now, the way that it's going. I just don't know who's going to be the Trump name right now for 2024, or if you refuse to embrace MAGA, if you refuse, if you refuse to embrace Donald Trump, things will be very difficult to fundraise in some of these states. Well, and let's talk about what that means substantively for the country, for the reality that we share. Uh, Donald Trump, of course, he hasn't admitted that he lost the election by a lot. He hasn't expressed any remorse about his role leading up to the assault on the Capitol, despite what Mitch McConnell and plenty of other Republicans are saying. So assuming none of that changes, what are the next couple of years for Republicans look like as they try to get elected? Is there a loyalty test now for Republican candidates? Do they have to embrace the Trump alternative alternative reality. I wouldn't be surprised if you had cameras down at Mari Lago and there's a conga line of kiss the ring representatives and senators trying to bang the door down to get his blessing. I mean, I just don't think that's really that far out of line with what's going on right now. I mean, for myself, I would rather see policy and facts, and that's the issue, isn't it? Is um, what, what are we going to do? Are we going to actually have? I, I'm going to. So here, how about this? I'm going to disagree with President Biden on a lot of things in policy. Say that I do that. However, it's very difficult to have a serious policy discussion if the people on the other side thinks you thinks that you think that aliens have somehow inserted code into machines to change votes, or that NSA 
NSA did, right? Or that the Democrats are a cabal of pedophiles uh, that are trying to run a deep state coup. I mean, there comes a point that you got to have a baseline, in fact, and policy. But right now, that's not what's selling in certain portions of the Republican Party. What's selling is going to be election integrity and pro-Trump. Those are going to be the top two things that people run on. They'll try to throw China in there and stuff like that. But there's going to be a conga line at Mar-a-Lago uh, trying, to, trying to get uh, President Trump's approval. All right. Former Republican Congressman Denver Riggleman, we appreciate your time as always. Thank you. Thank you. And despite his acquittal in the Senate, former President Trump is facing several state, civil, and criminal investigations. Among them, the DA in Fulton County, Georgia, recently announced a criminal probe into Trump's efforts to overturn his election loss in the state. Here's our own Devin Dwyer with the latest. He's out of office, his bid to overturn the election shut down. Now former President Donald Trump faces growing legal scrutiny of his actions. I think it's very possible that in the near future we could see a criminal indictment filed against former President Donald Trump. Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger has opened the first formal investigation of Trump's phone calls to state officials seeking to overturn the results of the election. So what are we going to do here, folks? I only need 11,000 votes, fellas. I need 11,000 votes. Give me a break. I identified three criminal statutes which I thought were violated. Public interest attorney John Banzaff filed a series of complaints in Georgia that triggered the new investigation, outlining in a letter to state officials what he says are clear violations of state law. Conspiracy to commit election fraud, solicitation to commit election fraud, uh, intentional interference with an election official. Trump's attorneys deny the call was inappropriate, saying in their impeachment defense to the U.S. Senate that the president was simply expressing his opinion and did not threaten Raffensperger. Four days after that call, the president held a rally to challenge the electoral count. We fight. We fight like hell. And if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. The peaceful demonstration turned violent and deadly. Local prosecutors are deciding whether to charge him with a crime. Under D.C. law, inciting violence is a misdemeanor offense, and it's my office's responsibility to investigate whether those words exceeded the First Amendment protection and went into a zone of criminality um, for inciting the mob that charged the Capitol. The president's lawyer insists the mob acted on its own. Just because somebody gave a speech and um, and got and people got excited, that, that doesn't mean that the speech maker's fault. Probes of Trump's post-election conduct joined several other civil and criminal investigations of Trump and his family business well underway. We're getting documents each and every day. Um, we are, again, seeking the testimony of certain individuals. We are reviewing all of those documents. It's uh, thousands and thousands of documents. New York Attorney General Letitia James has been scrutinizing whether Trump manipulated the value of some of his real estate holdings for tax and insurance purposes, zeroing in on at least four properties in three states. Manhattan District Attorney Cyrus Vance also continuing his criminal probe into possible bank, tax, and insurance fraud by the Trump Organization. Trump's attorneys deny wrongdoing and call both New York probes politically motivated. And they've asked the U.S. Supreme Court for a second time to block release of his tax returns. A decision is imminent. And the president's alleged fraud numbers in the tens of millions of dollars. Certainly, it looks to me like the president has some exposure to potential jail time. 
And still facing fallout from allegations of sexual misconduct dating back decades, Trump could soon face deposition under oath. I do. A judge recently allowing the defamation case of Trump accuser and former Elle magazine writer E. Jean Carroll to move forward. As her attorney, Roberta Kaplan, vows to challenge the former president over his history of false and misleading statements. When we depose you, you're not going to get away with that, Kaplan told the Washington Post. He had the mantle of the presidency, and now that's gone. I have no idea who this woman is. This is a woman who's also accused other men of things, as you know. Uh, it is a totally false accusation. For ABC News Live, I'm Devin Dwyer in Washington. A cloudy future for Donald Trump. Thanks to Devin Dwyer for that report. Well, the Biden White House is ready to move on from former President Trump's impeachment and focus on COVID relief. Coming up, one of President Biden's economic advisors joins us with more on where stimulus negotiations might go from here. We will guide you through it all tonight. made it through another week together. Big hug, Rich. We taught all our patients how much they are loved to hold their hands. David, we're showing our love and support for all the ICU staff. They're the heroes in this. Now, when it matters most, the straightforward facts. ABC News is America's number one news. Number one in the morning. Number one in the evening. With America's most watched newscast. Number one in late night versus the competition. The number one news magazine on Friday nights. Number one in politics across this historic election versus the competition. The number one daytime talk show. And number one in streaming news. ABC News is America's number one news. The world may feel out of your control, but your happiness doesn't have to be. Learn the secrets to happiness. Listen to the 10% Happier podcast, free on Apple Podcasts. ABC News, honored. Winner for the second straight year with the Edward R. Murrow Award for overall excellence in television. ABC News, America's number one news source. This is GMA3, what you need to know. GMA3. A third hour of Good Morning America in the afternoon. It's all about you. Lunchtime on ABC. The reality is our country can collapse from within. You see the white power movement on the march. Klansmen and neo-Nazis, skinheads, it's meant to incite war. From the KKK to Oklahoma City to Charlottesville, the new documentary event special. We just need to start talking about race. Homegrown hate, the war among us. This is a real wake-up call. Streaming now on ABC News Live. Friday nights, 9, 8 central. True crime, cinematic, real-life drama, stunning, the unthinkable. Follow the clues, the hunt, true crime, 2020. Friday nights, 9, 8 central on ABC. The most powerful stories of our time, anytime. Nightline. 
Let's talk about OnlyFans. Instagram, but for porn. OnlyFans is massively a part of the pop culture zeitgeist right now. OnlyFans has definitely enabled us to call the shots. Anyone can come in from the ground floor and start making money. A lot of celebrities joining OnlyFans. Cardi B, Chris Brown. Bella Thor. Within 24 hours, she made $1 million. You either love me or you hate me. Think of it as like an online playground. OnlyFans selling sexy exclusively on Hulu. Tonight, with millions in the path of historic, dangerous cold, the extreme weather moving across the country, plus pandemic reopenings. Are we moving too fast with so much at stake? World News Tonight with David Muir is America's number one most watched newscast. When I first heard about the $3,600 tax credit or $300 a month per child that the House Democrats is proposing, I was excited, but I didn't want to get my hopes up too much because oftentimes good legislation just dies. Um, me and my wife is expecting our first child. Actually, any day now, she do the 18th. And because family leave don't pay out the full salary, it'll be a little bit of a hit to us personally, just uh, financially, just because we have to take family leave. Now, also, once we go back to work, we have to find childcare, and childcare is extremely expensive. Now, while $300 a month wouldn't pay for um, the total cost of our childcare, it make it a lot more affordable. So hopefully this passed because this will help out my family a lot. Welcome back. That parent you just heard, he's hopeful for a Democratic proposal that would expand the child tax credit for one year, giving qualifying families up to $300 per child per month. It's part of the Biden administration's coronavirus relief rescue package that's aimed at helping Americans weather this pandemic and its economic fallout. So joining us now to break down the status of that relief package, Jared Bernstein, the White House Council of Economic Advisors. Thanks for being with us, Jared. And, Thank uh, and Thanks. And, and let me ask you, now that impeachment's uh, President Trump, former President Trump's behind us, the Biden stimulus rescue bill can take center stage on Capitol Hill. So, realistically, when do you think this can get passed? When would Americans see benefits? And do you think any Republicans are going to sign on? Well, let me start with the last point. Um, whether any Republicans are going to sign on is yet to be seen. But when we talk about this budget process called reconciliation, meaning uh, one way to uh, pass the bill without 60 votes, that doesn't exclude Republicans. This is a process that you've probably heard discussed in recent weeks up on the Hill. And in the past, th that process has uh, often been bipartisan. So Republicans could come over and help even if we go that process route. And I think what's important there is to recognize that this is not a partisan issue when you get outside of Washington. Uh, the president has met with business leaders, bipartisan mayors. He's met with governors from both sides of the aisle. He's talked to experts and economists, including, by the way, uh, the, the, uh, this idea has been endorsed by uh, the chief economists for President uh, Trump and President Bush. Just this morning in my Washington Post, I read a quote from the mayor of 
from Fresno, California, who's a Republican, who said, and I just thought this was very articulate, so I wanted to read it back to you. He says, it's not a Republican issue or a Democrat issue. It's a public health issue. It's an economic issue, and it's a public safety issue. That's the American rescue plan. And whether you're a D or an R, you want to reopen schools, you want to get relief to people, you want to get shots in arms, and you want people and businesses back to work. So you've gotten some pushback, Jared, to the $1.9 trillion size of this package, and not just from Republicans. Economists like Larry Summers, who served in Democratic administrations, warn that this could cause inflation and that it's at least three times the projected economic shortfall from the pandemic. So why insist on this high number? Well, I think the way to look at this, and Larry's an old friend of mine, and we've argued about this and other things, and uh, I still have a lot of respect for Larry, but we disagree on this point. The way to look at this is not the kind of top-down approach that he employed there, but to look at what it will take to get to the other side of this crisis, to finally deal COVID-19, the knockout blow, that Americans like the person you just interviewed a second ago are desperately looking for us to do. That has heretofore not occurred. We've often gone too small. We've had these air pockets where something faded without something else coming into play. So what the president did here was build a package from the bottom up with child care, with help to people who need relief checks, with help to people who are trying to get their kids back to school, help to states and localities who have to, at the end of the day, control the virus and distribute and produce, get the vaccine into people's arms. And if you do that bottom up exercise, you get to one trillion. And the risk here is not going too big. The risk here is going too small. And that's a risk we've seen uh, occurring far too often. And the president uh, is, is intent on putting that risk behind us. And Senator Bernie Sanders has promised that that idea to raise the minimum wage across the country to $15 an hour, that that should be included in the final version. That's going to require all 50 Democrats to stick together. And how likely do you think that is? Do the president support that? Yes, the president uh, unequivocally supports that, and he has since the campaign. He's always been uh, committed since he ran for president uh, to raising the minimum wage to uh, 15 an hour. And in fact, that's why he put this in his very first significant legislative proposal. And the reason is because, put this budget process issue aside for a second, because I think what the American people think about this is that should a frontline worker, should someone who's a fulfillment worker in a warehouse, a home health aid, someone who's helping control the virus or distribute the vaccine, should that person make a living wage, $15 an hour gets you closer to that, uh, relative to $7.25 an hour, which is the current federal minimum wage. And I think most people will agree that those essential workers who are just uh, putting themselves and their families at risk to help us get through this crisis need and deserve a raise. That's where uh, President Biden has long been, and he will continue to fight for that until uh, that goal is realized. And another point of contention now, or a big question, I guess, at least, is who gets those $1,400 checks? The House Democrats' proposal would phase it out for individuals making more than 75000 and couples making more than 150000 On the Senate side, Democratic Senator Joe Manchin proposed capping those payments for individuals making more than 50000 and couples at 100000 Where do you draw the line? 
Well, I think the answer to that question is, is going to come out of precisely these exchanges that you've talked about. And the president has been very encouraging about precisely these types of exchanges. And by the way, not just with Democrats, but with Republicans as well. And what he has said and what Jen Psaki, our press secretary, has said is that it is essential that middle and low income people get these relief checks and that they, uh, and, but the idea that they, you know, go to people with incomes of 250 or 300,000, you've heard the president say that that's not something that he considers to be, uh, you know, essential to this. So the idea that you would phase those payments out at income levels that are north of 250K is something that's been under discussion. But what's not under discussion is whether middle income families need this help. Uh, that they do, and they will tell you that themselves, and I believe them, and more importantly, President Joe Biden believes them. So, Jared, bottom line, when do you think this gets passed, and does it get passed with bipartisan support? I'm not going to give a date because I'm an economist. I'm not a political nose counter. I can only tell you that the urgency with which President Biden wants to get this across the legislative goal line is directly proportional to its importance in terms of controlling the virus, distributing, producing the vaccine, getting shots in arms, and finally, finally launching a robust, inclusive, and racially equitable economic recovery. <coughs> All right, Jared Bernstein, thanks very much for that, and good luck. Thank it's you. President's Day. It's President's Day today, and President Joe Biden's granddaughter, Naomi, is sharing a family gift to the president. Take a look at this. There's President Biden wearing his new hat this weekend on his first trip to Camp David, but Naomi's also shared a different view, as she said, just to make sure the new job title doesn't get to his head. <laughs> he, he, he's popped to them. I love that. They want to make sure that head doesn't get too big and make sure he remembers his most important title. That's cute. Absolutely. And it seems like he will. So that does it for us here on The Breakdown. I'm Terry Moran. And I'm Diane Maceda. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 3 p.m. Eastern. Have a great day and a happy President's Day. matters most the straightforward facts abc news is america's number one news number one in the morning number one in the evening with america's most watched newscast number one in late night versus the competition the number one news magazine on friday nights number one in politics across this historic election versus the competition the number one daytime talk show and number one in streaming news abc news is america's number one news